Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. This week at Redeemer Church, we are starting a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we must believe that God is a triune God, meaning He is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Depending on our background, we likely all have some errors in our views of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Michael, in the following sermon, seeks to find for us clarity and truth on the topic of the Holy Spirit that can only be found in Scripture. The passage today comes from John chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I can't tell you how thankful I am to uh, to be here with you guys. It uh, man, it feels feels like it's been a while since I've actually been up here uh, and uh, been. uh, been prepared to actually preach a sermon to you guys. Now, it's uh, it's definitely a smaller crowd this morning. We've got a lot of people sick or, or traveling right now, so just be in prayer for them. But again, I am so excited that uh, that I can be here with you all this morning. And uh, so we're actually going to be doing things a little bit differently than how we usually operate here this morning at Redeemer, because we, we typically at Redeemer do what is called expository preaching expository preaching. Now, this simply means that we think the best way to go about preaching and preparing for sermons is to pick a book or a larger section of a book and, and just kind of simply walk through it bit by bit. And this, that's called expository preaching. And this allows Scripture and not our own preferences or our own agenda to dictate what we will be preaching on. We just want Scripture to speak for itself. Now, the other method of preaching that uh, that is it's pretty popular, and I'm sure you've experienced sermons like this before, uh, it's usually called topical, topical preaching. And the definition is is really in the name, right? You you simply kind of pick a topic and see what the Bible has to say about it, and and there you go, you got a sermon. But as I said, we believe expository preaching is is typically typically the best way to go. It allows for the passage again to determine what the sermon will be about, and it allows you to kind of catch catch the the narrative or the flow of thought of the entire book that you don't really get if you're just doing topical preaching. And I would say probably most importantly, you are much less likely to take your verse or your group of verses out of context. With topical sermons, what can often happen, if you're not careful, is that you'll choose a topic and then kind of just cherry-pick verses all throughout the Bible to, to just kind of undergird or support your main point. And sadly, there is a good chance that you will take those very same verses completely out of context. And you're not always meaning to do it, but it can sometimes happen on, on accident. And some of those verses used to support the topic that you're preaching on may may really have nothing to do with that particular topic. 
And so this is why we at Redeemer usually just pick one book of the Bible and just preach all the way through it. However, topical sermons or sermon series, they're not always bad. They're not always a a bad thing. They can actually be very helpful if you really want to take a, a deep dive into one particular subject. And if they are done carefully and with, and through, and through a lot of prayer, they can be of a great benefit. And so I, I say all of that because we're going to be taking a, a small, short little break from what we typically do of expository preaching, and we're going to prayerfully and carefully going to begin a topical sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Now, throughout this sermon series, I will bring in several verses that I will use to support what I am saying, but I will do my best to make those verses available to you so that you yourself can can go home and study these passages and their surrounding context so that you can be confident that I'm not taking anything out of context or that I'm not warping any scripture to fit my preconceived notions of things. I want you to 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 kind of be be feel feel safe in that that you can look at these verses yourself and that you can you can see the surrounding context and know that I'm not trying to trying to you know pull the wool over your eyes or anything like that. Now, <clears throat> one of the, uh, well, oh, God, got ahead of myself there. Uh, when Kayla and I gave birth to Rowan, uh, just three years ago, which is crazy. It feels like there are times where when we, when we think of when we gave birth to Rowan, it feels like it was like an eternity ago. And then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then other times it feels like it was just yesterday, depending on how he's behaving. Uh, but, uh, uh, but it was, as you can imagine, it was a, it was a life changing event. And one of the memories that I have about that so vividly is when we were just getting ready to go home. It was one of the most exciting and one of the most terrifying moments, I think, because you're like, okay, I've actually got to take this little child that's in my care now and I got to take it home and there's no nurses or doctors surrounding me to fix any mistakes that I make. Uh, and uh, so we were getting ready to take him home and I'm putting him in the car seat and I, that was, I hated that because you're trying to get his little squirmy arms like in the, in the actual buckle and you're trying to buckle it. And then I'm trying to push the nurse away because I, I tightened it. I tightened it. All right. But apparently not enough. And I was like, you're going to crush my baby nurse because you just like tighten the thing more and more. And it was freaking me out. I did not like it one bit. But then came the part that I was most nervous about driving home. I was terrified to drive home. Never before have I ever driven more carefully than I did on the day that I drove my newborn baby home. And I'm not, I'm not usually a, a bad driver or anything like that, but I did not go a single mile over the speed limit. I used my blinker at every opportunity, even if I wasn't turning. I just wanted people to know there might be the chance that I might turn. I don't know. But I was, I was terrified. Because I knew that I had this, this amazing, precious cargo in the car with me. It completely changed the way that I drove. I drove completely differently. Now I tell you this story because I want you to remember that as we make our way through this series, that as precious as my baby boy was and is, if you are a Christian in this room, then you have an even greater treasure living inside of you. Living inside of each and every believer is the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit. 
And if simply having my son change the way that I, that I thought, the way that I, that I acted, the way that I drove, then how much more so should possessing the treasure of the Holy Spirit fundamentally change me and change you? David Platt said that the lives of Christians would radically change if we just realized what sort of treasure is inside of us. If we really believed what an enormous, valuable, and precious treasure we have living in us in the Holy Spirit. We would be living radically different lives. Samuel Chadwick explained just how inexpressibly valuable the Holy Spirit is by saying the gift of the Holy Spirit is the crowning mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? Let me say it again. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the crowning mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And he continues and says, It was for this all the rest was. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and ascension were all preparatory to Pentecost. Without the gift of the Holy Spirit, all the rest would be useless. The great thing in Christianity is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the essential, vital, central element in the life of the soul and the work of the church is the person of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer for this series is that we come to a deeper treasuring of this mighty gift of the Spirit that has been given to us. And in that, my prayer is that we come to long for Him. That we, that we do not desire to step one foot forward in our personal lives and, and in the life of the church without complete and utter dependency on the Holy Spirit. I want us to speak in unity with Moses in Exodus 33 when he essentially said, Lord, we don't want your blessing apart from your presence. Because friends, we can can have blessings. We can have numerical growth in the church. We can can have growth in our our personal, private, material possessions. We We can have health. We can have all of these things. But it means nothing. It means nothing if we do not have the presence of God in our lives. Now the elephant in the room is that many of us here, and some who aren't here this morning, are from a a variety of different church backgrounds. And while there are things in which we will certainly agree, there will also be some things in which we disagree. But our goal here is to be formed and shaped by the teaching of Scripture, right? We do not want to be led by our feelings or our experiences or maybe our lack of experiences because the Bible is rife with examples where that can just mislead us. And so we must pray for wisdom and ask the Spirit that that He helps us think about our experiences or our, our lack of experiences in the light of His Word. So with all that being said, we really have three main goals in this series on the Holy Spirit. And the first is what we have already said. We want to cultivate a desperation for the Holy Spirit in us. And secondly, to have clarity on what we as Redeemer believe the Scriptures, uh, what the Scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit and His work. And finally, our ultimate goal is to glorify God. It's to glorify God. And one of the best ways that we can glorify God when we approach this subject is to, is to celebrate where we have in, what we have in common about the essentials of the Holy Spirit 
and then seek unity even in the things where we may disagree. And so let us long to glorify God even in this topic. Now, after that really long intro, please pray with me as we get things going. Lord, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters that are here with me. Lord, we thank you, God, that, that you have not left us alone, Lord. God, when your, when your son ascended into heaven, Lord, it, it was, it would be so easy for you just to, just to leave, God, leave this, this sinful world and leave us alone to our own devices, God, but you deemed it good and right, Lord, to send your helper into our lives. And so, God, we, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is leading us this morning. Lord, I pray that you, that you through this, this sermon and through the sermon series create a hunger in our hearts, a desperation for your presence. And that we truly seek not to do a single thing without the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray this in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, so we are going to be going through a lot of our points today fairly quickly, so hold on to your seats. Uh, but today is a, a lot of really just kind of stage setting for the weeks that are to come. But here at the outset, I want to lay a foundation that I think is somewhat critical to our topic of the Holy Spirit. And I want to lay out what is called Trinitarian theology. Trinitarian theology. Now, this is just a fancy term that simply means that we as Christians believe in one God in three persons. One God in three persons. You may have heard that formulation before, but we believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All distinct persons, all fully God. This makes us Trinitarians. Now, some people will attempt to use illustrations to explain the Trinity. And you may have heard some before. A popular one is that the Trinity is like an egg, right? You heard, you heard that one before? No, you haven't? <laughs> Either. Whatever you like. Uh, but you have the yolk, you have the egg white, and the shell. And all three parts come together in unity to form one egg. So the Holy Spirit, or the, the Trinity rather, is like an egg. Another popular example is the Trinity is like water which can be three modes or in three states of being. Because water can either be a, a liquid, it can be a solid, or it can be a... Hey, good job. All right. Depending on the circumstance, right? Now, these can seem like helpful tools, but I want us to be very cautious in using these sort of illustrations when we're trying to explain the Holy Spirit. Because though they're trying to help us wrap our minds around the nature of the Trinity, each analogy or, or metaphor conceived by human minds will always, by necessity, sometimes unwittingly and on accident, fall into some sort of heresy. So let's take our two examples. God is actually not like water. Having, having different modes of being that he, he kind of switches into when the need arises. This is called the heresy of modalism. The Father, Son, and Spirit are each distinct persons. 
They're not just a, uh, you have God who just kind of puts on his son hat when he needs to be the son, takes that off, puts on the father hat when he needs to be the father, and the same thing with the spirit. Now, another example of modalism is saying that God is like a man who can be a father or a son and a husband. The problem is that each of those titles is still describing just one person, just one man. That is modalism. We believe that God is in three distinct persons. God is not like an egg. The Father is not one-third God. The Son is not one-third God. And the Spirit is not one-third God. And you kind of just add them up and you get one God. That is the heresy called partialism. Partialism. That each member of the Trinity is just a part of God. Rather, the Father is fully and holy God. And the Son is fully and holy God. And the Spirit is fully and holy God. So, my point here is that there is no earthly comparison that can be made to the Trinity. And so I believe that we are best off if we just respect the mystery here. And that can be really hard for us sometimes. Because we like to, we like to try to understand everything as human beings, I think. But we don't want to try to contain God in a box or in a simple word picture. But instead, we should affirm the truth and the mystery that is the Trinity. That God is in one essence, but in three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. And the Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. But they are all one God. I have one question to ask you right now. Does your head hurt? Because mine did just writing this part of the sermon. But if it does, and if you're having, if you're kind of struggling at this point in time, just know that you're not alone. I can't remember who said it, but some, some great and wonderful theologian or pastor at one point said that if you try to explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind. But if you try to deny it, you will lose your soul. Now, I wanted to lay this foundation because as we approach studying the Godhead, even just one person of the Godhead, we must remember to approach with humility. With the utmost humility, remembering that we are but finite creatures. And no matter how brilliant we think we are, or no matter how much we mistakenly think that we deserve to have all of the secrets of God be revealed to us, there will always be mystery because our God is gloriously infinite and we are not. And so let us approach this topic. Let us approach the Holy Spirit with humility, understanding that we need Him, that we must rely on Him to lead our way here. Now, that we have established that we are uh, good Trinitarians, I want to look at the two primary natures. That's kind of what we're going to be spending most of our time on this morning. I want us to look at the two primary natures of the Holy Spirit that we've already kind of mentioned before, starting with His deity. Starting with the deity of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is God. And then we're going to move on to His personhood. That the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person. Not a human being, but a person. So we're going to again move quickly through this. So I've put the scripture references on the slides for you guys to to write down and study at home if you would like. Uh, But there are many attributes that one must have in order to be 
uh, deity, in order to be God. And we want to see what the Holy Scriptures has to say about the Holy Spirit being God. Now, one attribute needed to be God is what is called omniscience. Omniscience. And the simple definition of omniscience is that God is all-knowing. His knowledge has zero limitations. And this attribute of being all-knowing is actually given to the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, which says, These things God has revealed to us, meaning the work of Christ on the cross, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is another term the Bible uses for the Holy Spirit. So Paul, who is the author of 1 Corinthians, is telling us that the knowledge of the Holy Spirit has no limitations. The knowledge of the Spirit is comprehensive. He searches everything. There is nothing that can surprise him because everything that could ever be known or discovered or learned, even the most hidden thoughts of the human heart, are known by him. And to drive this point home, Paul tells us that the knowledge of the Spirit is so complete, so comprehensive, that even the depths of the Godhead, even the depths of, of God the Father and God the Son are an open book to him. And so the Spirit is omniscient, all-knowing. Another attribute of God is what is called omnipotence, meaning that God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. And we are told of the power of the Holy Spirit, and in many places, but in one particular place, Luke 1.35, when the angel is speaking to Mary and telling her that she will be the earthly mother of Jesus. And the angel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, the Greek is far more clear, but in this verse, the power of the Most High the power of God Himself, who, who simply uttered commands and the universe came into being, is attributed to the Holy Spirit. Another example of the power of the Holy Spirit is in His role in, in the creation of the world. It is very interesting that in Scripture that everything in creation is not only attributed to uh, Jesus, as we see in Colossians 1.16, but also the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1-2 says the earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And in Job 26-13, we see that by His Spirit, He adorned the heavens. And so the Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, is all-powerful. So when you you look up at at the night sky or when you see the sun shining down, you can see the handiwork of not only the Father and not only the Son, but of the Holy Spirit. He is powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth. The Holy Spirit is all powerful. We also see that the Holy Spirit is eternal. Any good God is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews 9.14 says this, for if the or thirteen through fourteen rather, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve 
the living God. Now, there is a lot going on in this verse on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he is, he is the one who empowered or, or aided Jesus in some way to make the once and for all blood sacrifice that paid for our sins. How, how amazing is that? That is incredible. And so, so even in the death of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work. I think that's, I think that's amazing. And so that's actually just scratching the surface of the Holy Spirit's work in our redemption. But friends, we need to focus here. All right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about the eternality of the Holy Spirit. And so we see here in this verse that the Holy Spirit is eternal. Jesus himself, or the author of Hebrews rather, says that through the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. There was no time in which the Holy Spirit was not. He has always existed in perfect relationship to the Father and the Son. He is eternal. Now, you see those little kind of grouping of verses on the bottom half of the slides. We also see that the old that there are Old Testament passages that speak and tell of Yahweh, of God. And in the New Testament, those passages are credited to the Holy Spirit. Those workings of God in the Old Testament are credited to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So let's just look at a couple of examples. And this is, this is scripture testifying to the deity of the Holy Spirit. Exodus 17, 7 says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now in Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 9, the author says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Does that sound familiar? On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And so here the Holy Spirit is saying to the Jewish people alive during the time of the New Testament, don't harden your hearts to me, to me, the Holy Spirit, like your ancestors did when they put me, the Holy Spirit, to the test. And so the God of Exodus 17 is the Holy Spirit. The New Testament tells us that that God that you're reading of is the person of the Holy Spirit. Another example is Isaiah 6, 8-9. through it says, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he, God, said, Go and say this, uh, this to, sorry, say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Then we see in Acts 28, verses 25 through 26, Paul had been speaking to the Jewish leaders in Rome. The Jewish leaders in Rome, big surprise, were not too pleased with, uh, with Paul. And these verses tell us, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. And so the words of the prophet Isaiah that he spoke from the Lord, were words that Paul says were given to him by the Holy Spirit. 
Another example you can look up during your own study time is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and Hebrews 10, 15 through 17. And so not only are the attributes of God given to the Holy Spirit, but many places throughout the New Testament, the working of God in the Old Testament are accredited to Him, to the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, without question or reservation, is God Himself. We will get to why this is important a little later. But being God means that the Holy Spirit cannot be fully known. He cannot be fully known. He is what is called inexhaustible. He is inexhaustible. We can learn about Him for eternity and yet only begin to really understand the fullness of His majesty. However, though He cannot be fully known, J.I. Packer states well in his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, says, whether though he cannot be fully known, he can be truly known. He can't be fully known, he can be truly known. Meaning that while he is holy, while he is set apart and infinite, friends, he is also near. And he is intimate. And he is personal. Which leads us to the next fundamental trait of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is a person. Now, unfortunately, when thinking of the Holy Spirit, many of us can kind of fall into the misconception that He is nothing more than a force. You'd be surprised how, how common that thought is amongst the churches, especially in the West, that the Holy Spirit is, is more of a force, maybe something akin to the force in Star Wars or, or the power of the universe in a lot of New Age religions. And some go as far as to call the Holy Spirit and it. Have you ever done that before? Be honest with you, I have. I've slipped up. Now this is, is blasphemy. And it at times can be understandable. When we think of God the Father, it's, it's somewhat easier to think of Him in personal terms because we have earthly fathers as an analog. Right? And the same is true with the Son. We, we know of earthly sons. That's something that we have familiarity with, and so it's easier for us to think of Jesus in, in personal terms. And not to mention that Jesus also came to earth in the incarnation, taking on flesh. And so we, we see what it's like for the Son to, to be here and to interact with people and, and have relationships. And so when it comes to God the Father and God the Sons, our minds have somewhat of an easier time kind of comprehending them as not some impersonal force in our lives, but as actual persons. But the Holy Spirit is, is just a little bit tougher for us, I think. At least for me, anyway. Maybe it's because of the name itself. You know, holy means, means cut apart. It means, it means separate or, or holy other. It means total and complete moral perfection to the utmost. And so it, it, it is difficult to grasp. And then, and then you add, add spirit, or if you're old school, ghost, right, to the mix. And we don't really have a worldly category for that. And so it can be difficult to see Him, the Holy Spirit, as a person. And my friends, we must, we must prayerfully correct that thinking. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but He is God. And He has personhood. And the Scripture tells us that He has those attributes which are fundamental to any 
person. I just want us to look at a few just really quickly. First, he has a will. Now, we are reformed at Redeemer, and contrary to popular opinion, even reformed folks believe any true person has a will. But that is a a sermon for another time. But we see this in Acts 13, 1 through 3, where it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I, I, I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so it was the will of the Holy Spirit for the church of Antioch to set apart Barnabas and Saul for a specific work the Holy Spirit desired them to partake in. And so the Holy Spirit here is seen as having a will. We also see that the Holy Spirit has intelligence. And this is, of course, is related to His omniscience, His all-knowing. But in John 14, 26, we are told that the Holy Spirit teaches us. He teaches us. He has emotions. Ephesians 4, 30 tells us that He can be grieved by us. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. This is the charge that Peter laid against Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5.3 when they said that they gave more to the church than what they actually did. You, they didn't lie to, to the church, ultimately. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And you can't lie to an impersonal force. You can only lie to a person. He could be blasphemed, as we are told by Jesus in Matthew 12.31. The Holy Spirit speaks as we, as we have already seen in Acts 13 and as we also see in 1 Timothy 4.1 and many, many other places. We're also told that He intercedes for us. Romans 8.26, He, he bears witness to us. Romans 18.16, and most wonderfully, the Holy Spirit loves. He loves. Romans 15.30. So all of these attributes and more that we simply do not have time to cover this morning point us to the fact that God the Spirit is not just some impersonal force or power, but that He has personhood and that we can know Him. And friends, we can can love Him. And most wonderfully and most mind-blowingly, we can be loved by Him. On that note, I mentioned uh, John 14, 26 quickly just a, a moment ago, but I want us to kind of back up there for a moment. Uh, because that verse, along with verses 15 through 17, contains, I think, one of the most beautiful mentions of the person of the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture, one of the best descriptions of the Holy Spirit as a person in all of Scripture. And in my opinion, it is why it is so important, probably maybe the most important reason why we understand this doctrine. This, this teaching of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you John 14, 15 through 17 and verses 25 through 26 of the same chapter. Jesus here is speaking to His disciples and, and He is teaching them a, a variety of things and He begins to teach them that He will soon depart from them and He says in verse 15 through 17, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. 
you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verses 25 to 26 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Alluding to him soon not being with them when he ascends into heaven. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now there are about 45 sermons that can be preached here, but I want to focus just on the name that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit in these verses. Here Jesus is describing the Holy Spirit as the Helper. The Greek word here for helper is is such a a wonderfully rich word. It is is parakletos. Parakletos. You may have heard the the term paraclete, like that G, or the Holy Spirit rather, is is the paraclete. It's where that word comes from. And in fact, the word helper actually doesn't do it justice. Not at all. What it actually means is that the Holy Spirit is not only our, our helper, But He is also our comforter, our strengthener, our counselor, our supporter, our ally, our friend. And some impersonal force or or cold and distant deity can never be described or could never be described with such warm and nurturing terms. And friends, the reality of the personhood of the Holy Spirit being our great paraclete has been more important to me over the past several days than I believe ever before. My wife and I have been walking through a particularly difficult time. As a few of you already know, we, we just lost our third child in a miscarriage. And, 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 I, and I don't tell you that because I want you to feel, feel bad for us. I know that some of you have experienced this as well, but but I tell you this because I want to magnify the grace of the Holy Spirit here. And because our helper, our our comforter, our counselor, our friend, has not left our side for a single moment. And I can tell you with confidence that our, our tears are known by Him. And He has dealt with us gently. And He has been soothing and nurturing our hearts and is even now healing us by teaching us that the truths of Scripture are far far more than just truths. There are experiential realities that grant us rest. Realities such as that found in Psalm 18, 1-6. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And friends, listen listen to this, because this is the truth of the Holy Spirit right here. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From His temple. He didn't stop up His ears. He didn't turn away. From His temple, He heard my voice. And my cry to Him reached His ears. 
So Christian, the Holy Spirit is personal. And He loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And it is He that takes those wonderful truths and promises of Scripture that are yours in Christ, that the sting of death, the pain of this world, the the darkness of sin will all soon be washed away. And He takes those truths and He applies them to your wounded and hurting soul like a healing salve. His love for you runs so deep that even when you do not know what to pray, or when your weakness brings you to your knees and you're at a loss for words, Romans 8.26 says that God the Spirit intercedes on your behalf with groanings, these, these emotional outpourings that are too deep for words. Friends, He always knows exactly what you need at all times because He knows you inside and out. He knows you better than you could even ever hope to know yourself. And He is ever ready to take you into His embrace and nourish you with His fruits and never cast you away. How kind He's been to me. Giving my wife and I love and joy and peace and even in the middle of a storm. So brothers and sisters, this is, this is why the personhood of the Holy Spirit is so important. You can't miss this truth. There's so much in the Christian life that you'll miss out on if you forget this. He is your comforter. He is your advocate. He is your teacher. He is your counselor. He is the friend to your soul. And friends, we must be desperate for Him. Are you desperate for Him? Do do you long for Him? Do you you long to to know Him more and experience His, His presence more and more? Now, as I wrap up uh, this sermon, it's uh, it's really important to understand why all of this matters. I just got done saying why why does it matter that we have a proper view of the personhood and the deity of God, the Holy Spirit? And we looked at some of the answers to that question already. But another reason why we must have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit is because we want to offer up proper worship to God. You see, one of the problems we human beings have, even as Christians, is that this side of glory, we struggle to have a proper view of Him, a proper view of God. Now, as we grow in our faith and as we are sanctified and conformed more to the image of Christ, our view of God becomes sharper and clearer. And as we grow in our understanding of God, we will become better and better worshipers of God both in our outward actions and and in our inward ponderings and and in our prayers. And so that is why it's important to have a proper understanding of the Spirit as much as we can this side of heaven because we want to worship Him for who He truly is. If we don't don't see the Holy Spirit as as fully God, and if we don't don't see the Holy Spirit as, as uh, as a full person, then how can we really offer up true worship to Him in a proper way? 
We don't want to offer up strange fire like the sons of Aaron who did not worship God properly. Lastly, everything that will follow in the coming weeks rests on the foundational truths that the Holy Spirit is not only God, but is also a person. His work in our salvation and in our sanctification that we'll talk about in later weeks can only be accomplished by the second person of the Holy Trinity. As A.W. Pink said, without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. There is no Christian. There is no us. So we want to have a proper foundation. Please pray. Lord, I just, I praise you, God. I praise you, Holy Spirit, that you are not just, you're not just God. Lord, you're not, you're not just a, a deity that is, that is far away from us, that is distant, Lord. Lord, but that you are a person who cares and loves us and cries out for us, Lord, when we don't even know what to say. Who is there to, to comfort us, Lord, when we are, we are going through the valleys. Lord, I praise you for your work. Lord, personally in my life over these last few days. Lord, I thank you that you deal with us gently. Lord, that, that your spirit is, is always feeding us his fruits. Lord, we love you. Praise in your son's name. Amen.